as you approach how you roll out a network, you should think about the network you need, not now, but the network you're going to need for the next 10 plus years. And think about one that's feature-proof, that's easy to scale, a network that's also highly flexible, that you can automate workloads from the cloud all the way through the edge of the network, through the customer prem. And if you have that sort of flexibility in your network and that sort of computes in the network, then you can do miraculous things and really delight your customer by enabling all sorts of use cases and hitting their quality experiences. Hi, and welcome to Conversations to Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dan Rodriguez. Now, Dan is a vice president at Intel's data center group and is the general manager of the network compute division. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me on, Des. Appreciate it. Indeed. Now, I should explain we're currently on opposite sides of the planet. I'm back here in Sydney and uh, you're in the United States of America. How's your day going so far? Day is great. It's another hot day here in Arizona. So uh, life is good in the air conditioning. <laughs> air conditioning indeed. Well, we, we don't need air conditioning here right at the moment. We, uh, Australia doesn't really have a winter, but uh, it was six degrees this morning. And when, when anything goes below 41 to 42 degrees, the Aussies think their throats have been cut and they're freezing to death. <laughs> now, we've got a great conversation ahead of us around a whole bunch of really exciting topics that uh, I'll just quickly run through. We're going to talk about the whole challenge of what's happening in network transformation, uh, what's happening around edge computing, and, and then we're sort of going to dive into sort of some of the challenges that telcos, carriers, and operators in, in the space of uh, communication service providers are facing. But before we do that, I wonder if we could just uh, pivot for a second, Dan, and get to know you a little bit better. What I love doing with my guests is sort of ask them to give us a little insight into their personal life, where you're originally from, where you grew up, a little bit of fun anecdotal background on your uh, career and academic path. I know you've, you've done a uh, bachelor's degree in finance from Arizona State University and an MBA at the University of Southern California. Uh, give us a little insight into Dan and, and what life's been like so far for you to get to this exciting role inside Intel. Thank you, Daz. No, life's been good. I've, I've, um, I've been really fortunate. Um, so I was just giving you an idea, but I was born um, up in actually Silicon Valley. So I lived in Sunnyvale, California when I was a little kid for a while, and then I moved around a bit. But then my formal years were really spent uh, in San Diego, uh, where I really grew up, and then I finished up high school uh, up in Oregon. So definitely um, kind of a West Coast uh, person here uh, in the U.S. And then in terms of kind of what I enjoy, um, I definitely uh, have a great time at work, you know, transforming uh, the network sub tomorrow. Uh, but then at a personal level, I've got a great family. And then I enjoy uh, going surfing and snowboarding um, with my boys. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun that we have as a family. Yeah, we're kindred souls in many ways. I mean, I, I grew up in the Solomon Islands, and uh, you know, it was literally a, a little volcanic rock in the middle of nowhere with reef all around it. And so an idea of our day was like getting up, watching the sunrise so we could see enough to get past the reef and surf. And you were mentioning that you're a, a mad snowboarder, but you're, uh, one of your local mountains in your backyard goes to, what was it, 11,000 feet, you said? Yeah, it goes all the way up to 11,500 feet. So uh, even though we're in this state with a desert, it's a very diverse area. And uh, we got a great mountain here right locally. <laughs> it's on my bucket list of places to come and visit, but I'm just I'm picturing like desert one day and 11,500 feet snowfall the next day. Well, an amazing background and pedigree. And I think um, it, you know, it probably set you up uh, from your life experience and certainly your academic career path so far for this exciting role. So to recap for people, and I'd like to dive into kind of what this role entails and I guess what a day in the life of Dan Rodriguez is uh, as far as your, your 
job goes uh, as a vice president of Intel's data center group and the general manager of the network compute division, maybe just give us a little insight into kind of what that entails, because it seems to me that you almost need Herculean shoulders to carry that uh, challenge. Uh, and what's a day in the life of Dan like? Yeah, no, th no, thank you for that. Um, so first, the the network compute division, what that really means is I'm accountable for driving uh, network transformation for Intel. So essentially, you know, working, you know, with our customers, working with our engineers to be able to deliver uh, the right products, the right solutions to enable our customers uh, to get the most out of their networks. So that's everything from, you know, transforming a wireless uh, network to transforming an enterprise network to even transforming uh, cable networks. Um, as well, and in terms of you know my day to day, my my day to day life almost changes by the day and almost changes by the hour. But it's at the highest level. Uh, I'm all about um, partnering with our customers and and better understanding their needs and figuring out how to ch how to solve uh, their challenges, and then working with our engineering teams to deliver uh, the right solutions, as well as squeezing a little bit of press interviews, investor discussions, and doing some analyst talks as well. It's a phenomenal role. And for folk listening, I mean, this is this is not a trivial market space. I mean, we were talking earlier off the off air, and I mean, this is a uh, the, the this whole space. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's one of the fastest growing business units inside uh, this whole space, particularly the data center groups world. Twenty five billion dollar uh, US dollar market segment, from what I remember, you mentioned. Yeah, overall, this is a, a big opportunity for Intel. This is roughly, if you look at it in 2018, um, we were, it's about a $20 billion uh, market opportunity in 2018. And if you look at the last uh, four years, we've grown at roughly a 40% clip um, in the last four years. So it is a, it's a big opportunity, and it's a space that we are growing in uh, significantly. So I'd like to dive into a couple of things that we talked about earlier as far as um, what I want to cover with you. I mean, you're literally on the bleeding edge of this, if you'll pardon the pun. Specifically, the challenges we see that organizations are dealing with this whole topic of network transformation. I mean, it's a broad topic. We, you know, when we look at these, the, you know, we see it in the media a lot, and people say, oh, you know, network transformation is going to take over the world. We, we, we've been going through network transformation from the days of Banyan Vines and coaxial Ethernet cable. But I think the challenge that people are facing now is that when we talk about network transformation in today's day and age, in 2019 onwards and in 2020, the rate of change and the pace of this change is eye-wateringly fast now. And it seems to be touching every single segment of the organization, whether it's state and federal governments, small to medium-sized businesses, key verticals like transport, logistics, aviation, health, you name it. There's no way to escape this challenge of having to deal with this transformational change in the network space. Maybe just give us a little summary of kind of what network transformation means in your world currently, and then we can sort of dive into what the future that looks like with, with what Intel's doing. Yeah, so, so maybe before we, we, we dive into the future, let me just take a, take a lap back in history just a little bit. Um, so when, when Intel kind of started this, this network transformation journey, we really started it uh, in conjunction with our partners. We started it directly with many of the leading uh, comm service providers around the world. Um, and, and then they came to us and they simply asked us a real kind of simple and basic question. They said, can you partner with us and deliver the same sort of transformational change that you delivered in the data center and hyperscale clouds, can you bring those same sort of scale, uh, economics, and flexibility into the world of networking? So when we think about this broader journey of network transformation, at its simplest form, it's really moving uh, the network from fixed function appliances 
to standard-based computing or general-purpose servers. And to give everyone a you know a quick, easy example, is when you think about your day in a life, you know, working with a PC, and you think about all the different applications that you run on, on your PC, you would never dream of running a PowerPoint, an Excel, an internet search, or a Word document on four separate machines, because we all know that would be completely absurd. But if you think about how the networks were laid out in the past, they were all purpose-built where you had a specific appliance doing a specific task, and you could not easily scale it, nor could you, you run multiple workloads on it. So that's, that, that, that's the essence of network transformation. And then when you think about how we're building upon that and you think about the scale that cloud computing provides or even data centers provide, it's not only taking that general purpose server, but then it's adding all these cloud technologies on top like virtualization. So you can easily run and move these multiple workloads around. Yeah, I think the thing that I hear a lot is that people are being required to move from thinking about uh, you know, servers and storage and switches and routers and firewalls and VPN termination points to now starting to think along cloud models, as you indicated there, where the network becomes more of a software-defined infrastructure component and network function virtualization is sort of an API endpoint and, and all the way through the network to, to what's on the towers and antennas of network slicing and, and, and some of the technology shifts that we're seeing in 5G. Uh, I mean, each of these key challenges are going to have their own, uh, I guess, time and costs and, and, and human resource and money investment challenge. And I guess this is where the you know, organizations now need the right partner and the right leader in the industry, such as Intel, to help them along their journey to avoid some of these pitfalls. Because there's a, you know, the, when you talk about the carrier space and the operators and, the, and, and so forth, these are big investments for that scale of organization. But even in a regular medium-sized enterprise, it's still not a trivial investment for them, is it, to kind of say, well, we've now got a stack of, you know, a data center, a computer room out the back, and it's got a whole bunch of devices. To those, those the devices become soft and they're, you know, end of APIs. Um, what does that conversation look like when you, you're talking to either partners or they're talking to clients and saying, well, you're no longer going to be you know, plugging in RJ45s, for example. Um, this is something that's just happening at a dashboard or software-defined or a service request. What, what are, there, there must be some interesting conversations around how organizations have to change and shift their thinking along that, that line. Yeah, I know it's interesting because I think at the beginning kind of of this journey, we had a lot of conversations like that and trying to convince people that you could run uh, the workloads as efficient on a software-defined infrastructure as you can on fixed function appliances. And now, now that thinking has has really shifted, we've, you know, essentially the, the world does believe that this can be done and it is already, already starting to roll out. So now it's about how do you roll out your software-defined infrastructure in a way that's, that you can easily manage and orchestrate it across uh, multiple sites and how does that impact uh, the operations of comm service providers, et cetera. And, and that's, that's what we're working through with our partners being the comm service providers directly, but also with many of you know, our customers, the OEMs and the traditional telecommunication manufacturers and, and all sorts of different software vendors to, be able to solve these problems uh, for comm service providers. A lot of people I talk to when they first look at this, it, it, it frightens them because they're not quite sure from a, a basic language and a vocab as to how to come to grips with it. And often I say to them, well, you know, you went through this journey with your compute and that is that, you know, you had physical servers running one application and then you had virtualization mm -hmm. with potentially four to six applications and virtual machines. Then you went to the cloud model uh, where, where you didn't even have a server anymore. You just bought it on demand. I think companies are now comfortable with that, as you said. Um, one of the things they often wonder, though, is, okay, well, We've learned this through the cloud journey for compute and some of the storage. When we think about network, what, what does that look like as we're going forward? How does this shape up? What kinds of things do we need to be thinking about 
Uh, how's Intel helping organizations sort of shape their thinking and approach to this whole space of what the, the network of the future looks like? Well, I think we do a few different things. So, so one is, is that we do, you know, work directly with our customers and work with them in all sorts of open source consortiums. So we, we definitely uh, go out and have the attitude that we need to tackle some of these challenges as a real community. And if you look at some of the efforts we're driving in Linux Foundation as an example, where we have a flagship program called the Data Plane Development Kit, that whole program was designed uh, really in conjunction with our customers, but is designed to enable our customers to, run, to move packets very very fast on gen on a general purpose server. So it's those sorts of uh, efforts that are really industry wide that pulls innovation and sparks movement across the industry to really enable um, network transformation uh, to happen. The thing that I get the sense from all of this is that when we look at the transformation we've had in, in other areas uh, beyond the network, speed was the biggest issue initially to get things happening quickly. Then cost became a thing as to how do we bring the cost down. Then simplicity and access became the next big thing. Are these the sorts of things that we're seeing now in what you're facing with regard to the, the companies you're working with and partners and then their clients and then the industry as a whole? They're, they're initially looking for the, the ease of use as, as a, you know, how do we transition to this? And then they sort of look at, well, how do we get speed out of it? And then then how, how do we bring the cost down and, and where does it fit? What, what are the sort of balances that you're seeing out in the industry that people are being faced with as to where their current pain points are versus where they sort of want to get to as far as the function goes? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a great um, that's a great lead in, and I do think that when you think about the first days of network transformation, and, th and this journey really started way back, actually in the early parts of the decade, and it kind of had a seminal moment in early 2013 when we partnered with service providers to launch the Etsy uh, network function virtualization uh, consortium. And in those early days, it was exactly like, like like you said, essentially the the world was out to prove that this could be done and that it would work. And, and that was that was the first kind of job. And then the second job, it was all about how do we ensure that they're efficient enough, meaning you're getting the right performance. And now we're at a stage as, hey, there's a lot of virtualized network servers out there. And that, and by the way, that market for virtualized network servers is growing at a clip of about 20%. So it's pretty significant growth. So it's about how do you get those virtualized network servers done in a way that you can easily manage all those network servers, easily orchestrate them, and, and move services and resources around dynamically on the fly. Right. So now it's gone from it can be done to how do we make it run as seamlessly as you have maybe in a data center or hyperscale cloud. There's some big, uh, big independent challenges in some of the space, and you've touched on a few of those around uh, the likes of you know what's happening in 5G, and certainly across this whole breadth, you know, the underpinning foundational technology of what the next five, it's next G as we're calling it, the the 5G sort of technology stack goes. It's not just another G; it's it's quite broad. And 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 when we think about the transition from two to three, we sort of went from radio to digital. When we went three to four. We went from sort of, you know, SMS messages and occasional apps to sort of internet access. And now at the far end of 4G and, and, and uh, LTE, we're sort of, you know, we're streaming videos and, and doing all kinds of interesting things. When we think about what the sort of, you know, the network of the future that we're talking about here brings about, one of the things that strikes me as well is that people aren't just talking about quote unquote networks in the traditional sense that we used to, as in just moving uh, packets from one side to another. The networks become a lot more intelligent. Uh, it's a lot more aware and, and, and even to the point where it's kind of like, you know, a lot of internet style behavior where it can repair itself and we don't notice. Um, where are some of the spaces that you're seeing people now come to you and say, well, okay, we're, we're seeing that this 
you know, if we, if we call it the network of the future, if you like, uh, is going to be a transformative technology and that we're not just creating new networks that are, you know, software defined and, uh, and, and you know, infrastructure and software defined networks. Are you seeing particular areas where people are realizing, even if it's a eureka moment or an aha moment, where they're like, well, we can now do things that we've never even imagined before? I imagine that must be something that comes across your desk regularly where people go, well, we were thinking about just making you know networks faster to get more movies, but you, you know you can only watch a thousand movies in a lifetime. So what do you do beyond that? Um, I'd love to get your view on kind of what some of the the spaces of this network of the future are going to enable. I mean, like we see things like drones, autonomous vehicles, uh, self driving trucks, ships, you know, cars, etc. We we see uh, real time telemedicine from remote areas coming back to centralized spaces where you can have a, a special surgeon in the middle of New York, but they can be doing uh, you know. Uh, remote surgery and someone in the outback of Australia, for example. And there must be some exciting spaces now we hadn't thought about that, that what you're building now with, with the Intel technology stack that we'd never dreamed of before. It's almost like the George Jetson's uh, moment of science fiction as well. <laughs> Yeah, no. It's it's funny that you mentioned movies and you and you mentioned that no that that we can only watch so many movies. I, I don't know if that's actually true because if you look at just the rate of video consumption, it keeps going up and up and up. So I still think there's a lot more out of that <laughs> leg as well. But, but but in all seriousness, when you think about um you know you think about the future, um, what I immediately think about is the future with five G. And when you think about the future with 5G, um, this is really at the highest level about about two things. So one is it's about taking care of the consumers. So you're going to get a whole bunch uh, more bandwidth, greater speed, lower latencies, and how, and how that could impact the consumer's life. Going back to what we were just talking about today, sometimes when you download a movie, an HD movie, it could take you 30 minutes. In the future with 5G, it could be less than a minute. That's something that everyone can relate to, and everyone. You know, will enjoy. And then you also talk about other use cases. You talk about or think about cloud gaming and you think about all the gamers out there and all the computes that they're consuming. And then you think about the future with things like AR, VR with 5G and the low latency capabilities. You can now do that in a much more seamless interactive way by not having to, to, to wear these big, heavy um, <clears throat> goggles. Um, goggles to ensure that you're not getting dizzy or you're not coming out of balance. And then when you think about this further, and you think beyond consumers and you think about what 5G is really going to be different and how it's going to deliver different types of services beyond uh, a 4G network, that's where you start thinking about all the different vertical market applications. So 5G was really from the get-go, is it was written in mind for not only that consumer but also these business applications. And you mentioned a few of them, uh, but I, I, I think about those ones, but there's a few more that I think about in terms of the newer use cases. I think about industrial. and I think about um, automating the factory floor, not just through wires, but through wireless technology. We'll deliver all sorts of computing capabilities to robotics hitting the right latencies. I think about a retail store where you could be using all you could using not only digital security surveillance, but you could be using all sorts of technology um, in a digital sign uh, as an example uh, to promote customer loyalty, to make recommendations on what they what they could buy in the store, et cetera. And then you could even think about real kind of practical examples of what 5G uh, could unleash. And, and I'll give you one quick example. I think about uh, what we did with our partners at the US Open a year or two ago. And I think it was about a year ago. And essentially, uh, what we did was is we enabled uh, the U.S. Open to essentially U.S. Open golf tournament, I should say, to essentially broadcast via a 5G network via versus having to string all 
sorts of fiber optic cables around the golf course to go from hole to hole to hole. So there are some, I'd say, some real futuristic Jetson, as you said, type use cases out there. Uh, but then there are um, some that are really practical that just make common sense and can really make a, an impact on both businesses and consumers' lives. Now, they're great points. I, I was uh, involved in a project about five, six years ago uh, and that, uh, in my practitioner side of my life. And it was uh, a project to deploy robots in a paper factory. And uh, we had done some research on how we're going to avoid having these robots that were carrying one and a half tons of paper in a printing mill for newspapers not run over humans who might have accidentally walked out of a track. And so there were spaces around the floor where the robots are allowed to go. They were highlighted in bright yellow. You're not supposed to walk in there. But, you know, people have accidents. We might trip and you roll into space and then you become a pancake. So the only way to deal with that was to have humans wear these uh, jackets with sensors in them so that if a robot doing uh, five kilometers an hour got within a meter and a half of the person, it came to a screaming halt and stopped. And I read something the other day that a fulfillment factory uh, and warehouse space somewhere in the U.S. was doing something similar because they couldn't slow the robots down fast enough using traditional 802.5.11 uh, uh, Wi-Fi. And I see now that you know, all the things you're talking about with robotics uh, and, and the factory floor and manufacturing – 5G makes this possible now within building 5G because of the low latency, the fast turnaround time, and robots can make smart decisions that don't require us to wear big heavy jackets to stop the running into it ourselves. Um, but also the thing that strikes me with what you're talking about there is some of the technologies like digital twins. You know, If you've got a, a $20 million robot manufacturing cars and cranking out thousands of cars a day, I can imagine now that 5G brings about some of these use cases you're talking about where all of a sudden now we can run multiple digital twins such that big piece of infrastructure has a cloud-based copy of it running for various diagnostics, making sure that the one that's in the real world is behaving like the one in the in the virtual world is a digital twin. And if anything goes wrong, we can we can address it immediately with either a software update or a physical fix. I mean, these these are such transformative shifts in the way we've been doing business before. It it almost behooves us to stop and start with a white sheet of paper. I think in some cases and say, well. Should we be doing it the way we've always done it, or is there a better way? And that must be a conversation you have on a regular basis as well, is it? Absolutely. So I think you brought up, you know, several kind of interesting points. And I think that, you know, oftentimes when we talk about network transformation and you talk about 5G, you always want to talk about the fun use cases, some of the consumer ones I threw out, and also some of the, you know, the industrial factory floor, et cetera. But then there's also some real practical things that uh, network transformation can enable. And, and you brought up one, and that is just having a more automated network where when you you have something down, you have algorithms in place where you can adjust the network configurations really on the fly versus rolling out a truck or even having an operator having to go manually uh, <clears throat> change the system to address some anomaly. So I think that's, you know, you know when you think about the, the world of the data center and the world of cloud computing, that's how those that, that's how those customers get the most out of their infrastructure is by having a much more uh, automated network. And then the other thing that was interesting is I just because uh, you brought that industrial example, and I think it's a it's a great example. And and I you know I am hearing when we're partnering with different industrial outfits out there, uh, safety is a big concern, and using a combination of sensors with a high speed network can make these factory floors uh, much more safe. And I think other, you know, other use cases that we've seen is we've seen customers use leverage uh, 5G network, leveraging computes um, 
right in a factory floor in a combination with sensors and machine learning capabilities to, to alert, to be alerted of any inconsistencies that you may see in a manufacturing process and then immediately correct it in real time, ensuring that the product you're making is hitting the right performance, hitting the right reliability as well as quality. Indeed. I, in fact, I have an assertion. Uh, she's the CIO of a large transport and logistics company. And uh, she was having trouble getting a business case forward for a complete refresh of their network technology for all of these safety things that we're talking about inside some of their trucks. And uh, so I, I took her hand and I walked her out the reception. And I pointed at a big whiteboard marker and it said number of days since incident. On the far left, it said death. On the far right, it said loss of limb. And I said, every dollar you invest that reduces those numbers to zero is your business case. And I can see this now. And we sort of talked about this whole thing, you know, these devices at what we're, I guess, effectively talking about the edge. Um, I think there can be no more uh, significantly valuable business case than saving lives, reducing you know, risk of people's uh, losing a finger or toe. Um, when we, you mentioned edge computing and the other things around that in, in a very sense before, I'd love to sort of understand what edge computing in your world means currently. When we, I mean, some of these really big topics often get uh, bandied around by the media and, and people jump on stage and talk about them and often don't fully grasp what they mean. You're literally defining and writing the book in these, some of these topics. When you yourself and your role and, and Intel as an organization talk about edge computing, what does it mean in your world? What does it mean with the sort of organizations you're talking about? So I think when you, when you first think about the edge, you can think about how services are really deployed today. And, and at real, real high level, um, a service is typically delivered from the cloud with the network as a simple transport mechanism, uh, and then obviously delivered to some sort of client or endpoint at the end. Um, in, in the future, we believe the, the, the edge of the network as well as the customer prem will completely transform. And when you think about the use cases that need to be solved by 5G, and we rattled off a few, industrial, retail, even smart stadiums, um, et cetera, the operators are looking at not only increasing the capacity of the network, but also placing more computes and real-time analytics much closer to the user at the edge, where really the data is collected to better manage the network traffic, the total cost of ownership, as well as deliver the right quality of experiences. So, so when we think about this edge, we don't think about one specific place. We think about how do you place the right computes on a customer prem. And this could be, again, industrial factory floor. It could also be a bank branch, as an example. But then you also think about how you can use that, that customer prem, the equipment you have there and the, the software, et cetera, but also think about how you can also leverages, leverage things that are off-prem the network edge. And you think about all the thousands of sites that comm service providers have, and oftentimes these are referred to as central offices. And we think about how we can transform those central offices to deliver all sorts of real-time services um, in, in, into the industry. And these, and many of these things could be media services start, but then they could also start delivering all, services, all sorts of services to retail operations, banks, um, et cetera. There was an article I think you published on your Intel Network Builder Social Hub, and I think the title was 5G Mobile Core Transformation and uh, What's the Best Fit for Your Network Modernization Strategy and so forth. And I was reading through that, and at the bottom end of it, there was a couple of notes around investment in infrastructure, particularly for cloud-native applications. And when you were talking about what's happening at the edge there, something that really leapt out at me that, that I've been talking about with a number of organizations is this whole challenge of what we would normally do in a centralized data center and cloud infrastructure versus what's now going to happen, happen at the edge. 
where are some of the big wins in, in this space in your mind that people are now saying, well, we don't have to move all the data to the data center. We can leave it at the edge, but we can bring the intelligence to the edge. Yeah, no, no I think that's a, that's a great point. And if you think back to some of those 5G use cases and you think about the requirements that underlie those 5G use cases, the key thing that they all have in common is that they're all different. You know, some of these use cases need high bandwidth, some need low latency, some need greater level of security, and others may need more privacy. So when you think about your network, your network needs to be very fluid. In one case, you may need to place some computes in one location that could be hundreds of miles from the users. In other cases, it may need to be five miles from the user. In other cases, right on uh, on-prem. Uh, so when you think about uh, a 5G network and you think about a core network as an example, we envision that user plane uh, portion of the network to be located off, definitely it's going to be centrally, but there's going to be times where you're going to need to pull that forward uh, to, to be much closer to the user to ensure you can hit the right bandwidth and latency of, as an example, um, video workloads as just a, a quick example. And one of the things that we're doing to really enable this is we're developing um, reference solutions that show how you can scale the hardware, but also the software really across multiple points of the network. And one great example of a partnership that we have in the industry is with Quanta. And essentially, uh, working with Quanta, as well as partners such as is Red Hat, KGP, and, and Radisys, we pulled together what we call a next generation central office. And you can think about this next generation central office that's only you know, five-ish miles uh, from the user as really a mini data center at the edge that delivers the same sort of scale and flexibility, or at least the same sort of flexibility as you might find in a typical kind of data center, but in a much smaller kind of power um, and area footprint. And it has the capability to be able to run all sorts of, of different networks, whether it's an enterprise network, a residential network, or even the wireless network itself. But then it also has the flexible computes in there where you can scale it out to run many different workloads beyond just the typical kind of network functions that you might find in a central office of today. The thing that strikes me about what Intel brings to the table is you've got such a comprehensive portfolio from the software side of things, from the, the chip level stuff, all the way through to the infrastructure and architecture, that when organizations work with you, it seems to me that you're offering a capability that rapidly accelerates innovation. Um, some of the organizations you're naming there are, you know, again, at the bleeding edge of some of the space. In, in the middle of this space, so when you think about the everyday organization that doesn't always have uh, direct access to some of the technologies internally, it must be the case that they're coming to you now saying, we want to dip, we want to dip into that portfolio of capability between the software, you know, software-defined infrastructure, APIs, development, and so forth, all the way through to the infrastructure. What's that journey look like for organizations that come to you and say, dear Intel, <laughs> we're a, <clears throat> you know, insert name of thing, we're a bank, we're an airport, we're, um, you know, a shipping company. Uh, we don't necessarily have the, the wherewithal to do this. Help us drive and accelerate this kind of services innovation. What does that conversation look like? Yeah, so I think, I think if you look at you know, what Intel brings to the table is that we bring together the you know, very um, easy-to-use platform that has a wide ecosystem that allows our customers to scale these solutions and implement them very, very quickly. So oftentimes we do get different industries and different vertical markets approach us and they and they and they bring us in really as a trusted advisor to help them better understand what technology what technology solutions we have available to them. And then typically, uh, we work with some of their partners to to create a solution where we may be providing the silicon, we may be providing some open source ingredients, and then we work with our partners to pull the overall uh, solution together uh, to meet our customers' needs. 
And when and we think about some of those, you know, underlying ingredients that we have to help jumpstart our customers, be able to solve those big industry problems, we have all sorts of enabling clits, including something that we call our Intel Select Solutions for NFEI, which is essentially a reference platform that supports supports network function virtualization, where you can run, you know, all sorts of <clears throat> all sorts of different virtualized network functions on it, but also scale out to other computes, such as um, the media, for example, in a visual cloud setting. When I look at some of the stuff that's underpinning all of this, the thing that keeps coming back to me is this challenge that the whole communication service provider space is dealing with, and that is that um, you know, the telcos, the operators, the carriers, all of these companies that are providing the, the fabric that, that's built on your capability, your technology, your infrastructure, um, I mean, th- these Service providers are making massive investments across the board, not just you know uh, uh, next generation technology networks, but you know five G in particular, edge computing, and all the things that come around that, Internet of Things and sensor placement. Um, when we think about this transition that we've had from four, uh, sorry, from two to three G, where we sort of went from radio to digital, then three to four, it was a fairly natural evolution. But as we said before, there's this Cambrian explosion of capability that comes at five G. The thing that I hear from a lot of these companies, you know, telcos and operators and carriers, is that they've already got fairly substantial investments made, some you know, sunk costs, let's call them. And, and depends on where you are. I mean, I guess if you're in the middle of New York or San Francisco, things are moving quickly, you're getting rapid uptake. But if you're in the remote regions of, of, of India or Africa or even Australia here, there's sometimes a 15-year ROI. And uh, I, I know in Australia, for example, I, I recently read something, I won't name the company because it's unfair, but they just deployed 4G into a regional area and they had a 15-year ROI to basically break even on this stuff. They're now being challenged, and I imagine this is where they're coming to the likes of Intel, saying, well, we've already got a big spend in this place. It's got a long-running ROI. How do we leverage these investments to get the benefit of what 5G makes available without just completely having to rip it up and replace it? No, it's a it's it's a great point, and I think that one of the beauties of network transformation we kind of hit on earlier is that network transformation really drives a software-defined infrastructure. So it promotes the ability to easily onboard and upgrade in a very automated fashion uh, the network. And then you think about five G, and obviously you think about all the business cases we've we've talked about, and you think about well, how do I do this in a way that is seamless and I can better monetize uh, the infrastructure build I already have. Um, as well as build out in the future. And the great thing, the way 5G was designed is is that it, it is designed uh, to promote a new air interface, the, the 5G specification, but it can work with a um, an LTE core network. So customers that aren't ready to up- upgrade their entire core network, they can utilize an LTE core network, and it's called um, non-standalone. And then once you move to a 5G core um, it's called standalone. So I, so I think about it in that way is that, is that customers are going are gonna to leverage their LT networks. Uh, they're going to put in um, the right uh, base stations to support the 5G air interface. And over time, they're going to upgrade um, their uh, core network. And then as, as you mentioned earlier, when, when people think about the rollout time for 5G, uh, of course, the first thing is they're going to roll out uh, for coverage and capacity in dense urban environments, like you mentioned, San Francisco, New York, and I think Sydney probably qualifies uh, as well. Um, and then over time, uh, it's going to get built out in more uh, rural and remote areas. And then if you kind of layer on our earlier conversation, um, you can think about this transformation occurring. You know, first, really support um, enhanced mobile broadband to be able to su- support their current subscriber base, both business and consumers, with better overall capabilities. And then I think at the in a few years, you're going to start to see more of these new innovative applications that are targeting sp- 
specific vertical markets start to roll out. When I think about Intel as a brand and its, and its long-running uh, uh, pedigree and, and lineage in, in essentially what becomes data, you know, whether it's moving on and off chip, in and out of, of, of storage and compute, uh, in this case now networks, is that you've been a data-centric company from essentially day one, moving zeros and ones around in various forms. Now you're investing in this portfolio of products to move data and store it around in the network space. So you've got this very unique, broad reach of understanding how to get data on and off different storage platforms into compute memory and do and you know work on that and workloads through to moving it across networks. That that must position you as Intel quite uniquely in that I don't know that there are many other companies that have that full breadth from zero to hero of a zero and one being created to something being done to that zero and one that provides value to an industry of some form. When you look at Intel, and you heard me earlier talk about CPUs, but we've we're much more than a CPU company now. As as you mentioned, we we understand data center workloads, we understand network workloads, we understand cloud workloads. And because of this, you know, we've innovated not only in our CPUs, but we've also, you know, innovated with all sorts of platform technologies, whether it's new memory technologies, uh, accelerators handling security, to our FPGAs, to our Ethernet silicon, which is really critical uh, for ensuring that you have the right uh, packet processing in a network. And then when we approach customers, um, we, we can approach them with a few different things. One is, is that um, you know, we have uh, been focused on network transformation for nearly a decade now. So we have a you know, very deep understanding of the overall network infrastructure, the workloads, how to get the best out of our platforms and the best best customer value, really. But we also have, you know, give or take 20 years of experience of working with uh, the data center and more recently um, the hyperscale cloud. And with that wealth of knowledge in combination um, with our network knowledge, um, we have a lot to offer as customers look to transform their networks and utilize those same technologies and the same, you know, tricks that drive efficiencies in cloud and data centers into the world of networking. You must have some of the operators coming to you asking for uh, support and, and direction and advice on how to deploy everything from a, a test lab and a development lab all the way to the real in the world, in the field infrastructure. Um, what does that journey look like when, when, when either organizations come to your partners or the partners come to you and say, look, we, we need something where we can deploy an initial test space to, to understand what 5G is and how to, to, to leverage it and how to gain value from it all the way through to that, that final journey of deploying it out in the field. Um, what are some of the natural uh, stage gates or milestones that people go through in that sort of journey of first coming to you and saying, well, we're, we're going to go down this path, we see the value of it. Um, how can Intel help us through these various stages of you know, virtualizing our network and then moving to cloud models and then software-defined infrastructure to actually deploying something in that field? What are, the, what are some of those key stage gates look like? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question, and you could argue that that's one of the best parts of our job is really rolling up our sleeves, working with our customers, and understanding what problems and challenges they're facing, and then design a, design a plan that meets their needs, and then working with them through all the stages to get it to market. So I think the first thing when we come together um, with a comm service provider is we really try to just understand you know, the problem and the challenge they're facing, what use case uh, they're trying to enable, and then we define... Uh, these different milestones. And it could be going from just doing a simple proof of concept where we'd ask the comp service provider to pull in additional partners you know, outside of Intel to help create an overall solution um, to taking it into a lab and doing a simple trial in a lab to bringing it to go forward with a, you know, a friendly user trial and then to uh, commercial rollouts. Uh, but it all starts with understanding the customer's use case and defining that POC 
testing it out in the lab, making sure it works, and then you create a scale plan with, with the customer. There's a sense of urgency due to media hype that everyone's got to run and rush and jump off this cliff edge of getting into 5G and, and starting to do real things. And yet I, I generally get the sense that, you know, when we think about the whole telco space, there's a lot of panic and stress happening in, in boardrooms about, you know, what are we going to do about 5G? How do we get IoT going? You know, um, what's happening with cybersecurity? When I, I think, and I'd love to sort of get your, your sense on this before we jump into the crystal ball gazing component, is, is it the case that organizations should probably take a deep breath, find their pace, have a sensible conversation, as you said, around getting the strategy and the plan mapped out first before they take their first step on it? Because some of these are going to be big investments and there are going to be potential big pitfalls that they need to learn on. Is it the case, and am I right in thinking, that organizations should take a, a very steady, eddy paced approach to this and not stress about it? Because 5G isn't going to happen tomorrow necessarily. It's a, it's a three to five year sort of deployment rollout plan. They need to make the right steps on the right investments because making the wrong step could cost them a lot of money and they're going to have to circle back and do it again. Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at the wireless standards in general, these are like ten year standards. Then obviously they have legacies much beyond ten years. And I think you hit the the timeline roughly right, where we're going to see a lot of kind of early rollouts, you know, in 2020. And a lot of this will again get, again be in those big cities. And then you're going to see broader rollouts over the next three to five years. So I think it's it's good to have a very kind of measured plan where you fully understand how you're going to develop and deploy an infrastructure that is software defined, that does give you the flexibility and scale. So when those use cases come much beyond uh, just enhanced mobile broadband, you have the flexibility and scale to support all sorts of use cases on your network. And you can tap into those new revenue streams that can be created from partnering with specific vertical markets. One of the things I love to do with my guests before we wrap up is this whole crystal ball gazing. I'd love, if you don't mind, can I hand you a virtual crystal ball and say, Dan Rodriguez, in the next three to five years, you know, if you look over the horizon, if you were to kind of just generally get a sense of where do you think we're going, what are some of the things that we need to be thinking about? And in the context of, you know, some of the listeners are going to be sitting in their boardrooms thinking, well, what standard agenda items do I need to be putting on my boardroom meeting agendas every month to talk about how we get to this position of, you know, even thinking about designing and deploying a 5G solution versus what the carriers and operators might be thinking about, well, where do we invest for our labs and development software capability? How do we think about building uh, an API-driven you know, software-defined infrastructure capability? If you were to look into this crystal ball and do a little bit of crystal ball gazing for a moment, what's your general sense of where we are in the next three to five years? What are the big things we need to be thinking about? Yeah, so, so I think... Um you know, at a high level, I, I think in the you know the next just few months or not few months, the next year or so, people people, you know, people are going to make the 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 leap into five G, and we are seeing we are going to see some rollouts, and people know how to roll out five G, and they know how to support you know coverage and capacity for their consumer use cases. So I see the the heavy activity across the industry, and it's really the entire industry from the comm service providers to the OEMs to the ISVs to the traditional uh, telecom equipment manufacturers manufacturers really rolling up their sleeves and figuring out how they can unleash the potential of all sorts of vertical market applications on a 5G network. And not only figuring this out from a technical standpoint, but also figuring it out from a business model standpoint and figuring out how how the, the telecom industry in partnership with other industries can create value and also monetize that value as these amazing experiences get developed uh, in the world. As a final wrap-up, uh, are there a couple of points you'd like to sort of have listeners ponder as they listen to this and take notes and go away back into their uh, various uh, organizations and think, okay, well, these are things that we should be talking about? 
Yeah, as we just mentioned, if you if you think about a network, a network's laid out there, and it's going to stay in the ground for for quite some time. So as as you approach how you roll out a network, you should think about the network you need not now, but the network you're going to need for the next ten plus years, and think about one that's future proof, that's easily to scale. So you can add, you can upgrade computes along the way, a network that's also highly flexible, that you can automate workloads really everywhere from the cloud all the way through the edge of the network, through the customer prem. And if you have that sort of flexibility in your network and that sort of computes in the network, then you can do miraculous things and, and really delight your customer by enabling um, enabling all sorts of use cases and hitting their quality of experiences, but also being good in the boardroom and hitting the overall uh, economic value for your shareholders. Wow, I love it. That's the quote of the day. It uh, reminds me of Arthur C. Clarke's line that uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Well, Dan Rodriguez, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, spend an hour with you, and thank you so much for making time to catch up with me. Um, I, uh, I hope we had the pleasure of having you back on the show again soon. Thank you very much, Des. It was great chatting with you this afternoon and look forward to doing it again.